Good morning, church. I have the privilege this morning of starting a new series called The Prodigal God, and we're going to be looking at one uh, portion of Scripture through multiple weeks of this series. I believe and I know in my heart that this is a pivotal series for us as a church. This is a prophetic message for us as a church, and this is going to be a, a, um, a, a culture-shifting or culture uh, uh, cementing or culture-defining series for us at our church, and I really would encourage you not to miss a week in this series, and if you're traveling out of town, uh, to make sure that you're catching up and staying in line with us during the series on YouTube and uh, making sure you don't miss a portion of it. There, uh, If you travel this summer at all through the uh, the Kangamangas Highway in uh, in kind of northern New Hampshire or mid north New Hampshire, you will you'll hear or you drive by this house that has a story to it, a true story. And in the year 1891, a uh, there's a couple who lived in this house, and the husband's name was Thomas Colbath, and. He came in after doing his chores, and he told his wife, Ruth Priscilla, that he had to run and do some errands. So uh, at, um, you know, at dinner time, she cooked his meal, set it back on the, on the back end of their wood-burning stove, and set a light out on, in the window so he could see where the house was when he would come home that evening. Uh, the only problem was he never did come home that evening. So the next night she did the same thing, and she placed that light in the window, and she did that for the next 39 years, as Thomas never returned. Ruth passed away in the year 1930, and uh, she never did see her husband again. As we start a new series today, we'll be in Luke chapter 15, you saw the sermon intro, and what that sermon intro for us, and as you watch it next week, you begin to think through this idea that it is God who's been leaving the light on for us, waiting for us to return home, from, return home to Him. We're starting a series called The Prodigal God, and we are a room of people who have left God. And at one point, we returned back home to him. We'll be celebrating that with some baptisms in, in a couple of our services today. We're a room of people who have left him and returned back, or maybe within our room, there's some people who left and haven't yet returned home. I want you to know he's left the light on for you. He's been waiting every night. He's been waiting, hopeful, excited that this will be, this could be, this would be the day you come back to him. If you're ever in the place and maybe you're wondering today if God would ever accept you back, you're wondering if God would ever want you back, if God would ever welcome you back. I just want the, these 
uh, simple words to be replaying over and over in your head as you think about God himself speaking the, these words to you, I'll leave the light on. That it is his joy, it is his prayer, it is his privilege to welcome you back. And as we study this story that Jesus told over the next several weeks, again, this is our theme over and over again, I'll leave the light on for you. He's hopeful and waiting for our return. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 15. You can open up a physical copy of the Bible. If you don't have one, we'll give you a Bible for free. But you can also download the Bible app on your phone and follow along with us there. And what we're about to read is a parable that is better known as the prodigal son. And maybe you've heard this preached before, but we're going to preach through this Again, for several weeks on the same passage of Scripture, because for so many years, maybe you've heard about it, for so many years you've studied it, but if you're like me, for so many years you have read this story, but only, you've only gotten half the story. You've missed the bigger point, and, and potentially you've missed the part of the story that, God, that Jesus is kind of pointing his finger at you and trying to get you to grow and you to change and you to respond to God <laughs> differently. We know this is a story of a son who left his father's house, took his inheritance money early, and pursued wild living. Depending on what Bible translation you're reading out of, I mean, he was, he was pursuing parties, he was pursuing prostitutes, he was living the, uh, he was living the party culture. Eventually, he ran out of money. Eventually, he found himself in a very desperate situation, and uh, he returned home to his dad only because he figures, my dad's got a bunch of people who work for them, and they're eating better than I am. I'm going to go ask my, do my dad for a job. But this isn't a story about one lost son. And this is the really big thing that I want you to to, uh, to, to, well, there's a lot of big things in this series, but this is, part, this is part that you may not know. This is a story about two lost sons. There's a younger brother who lived and took off and returned home, but there's another brother in the story, an older brother, that is just as lost as the younger son. Both of the sons in the story are far from the father. And you can be a lost person and have everything right on the outside, or you can be a lost person that's just pursued and, and is run from the father. And you've gotten so far and you're so and you're you've hit rock bottom that it's easy to see I need to return home. But there's two lost sons. And so we could call this story, not the parable of the prodigal son, we could call this the parable of the two lost sons, but even that title would fall short. Because this story is as much about the father as it is about the two, two lost sons. There's as much for us to gain and to understand about the father 
as it is understanding the lostness of these two sons. Uh, pastor and author Tim Keller has written a book called The Prodigal God, and, uh, and when he talks about this, when he talks about the prodigal God, even this morning I had someone say, prodigal God, I thought prodigal meant like you ran away, how does God run away? And it's important for us to understand this definition of prodigal because we've understood it because we've only talked about it being as one son, we've understood it as being, and we've defined prodigal as really kind of running away or returning, but that is not what prodigal means. Prodigal, if we look just in the regular English dictionary, um, prodigal means, uh, it's an adjective, which it means spending money or resources freely and recklessly. Another uh, dictionary defines it as wastefully extravagant, having or giving something on a lavish scale. Prodigal. So when we talk about the prodigal son, what we're talking about, he's, he ta- he's taken his inheritance and he spent it wastefully, extravagantly, lavishly. But when Tim Keller talks about the prodigal God, what we begin to understand is that it's God who spent lavishly, extravagantly, recklessly, even wastefully, it would seem, to the outsider's opinion, on his sons and daughters who have returned home or who need to return home. He's the one who's prodigal. He's the one who spent so much on us. The father's acceptance of his, of his younger son, and, and we'll read about it in a moment, but his acceptance of the younger son when he's returned home uh, it is, it, it is what is, could be described as reckless, definitely extravagant. When he told this story and he shared this parable, it offended religious people. It offended them. It upset them. And as we talk through this today, we don't want this story to offend anybody, but we want it to change our heart. For those of us who are far away and we know we're far away, that something in our heart would say, yeah, he, would, he will accept me back and will return home, will return to him today. For those of us who think that God's too good for people who are far away, man, would be, we'd be so convicted and we would see the love of God that Jesus has, not for just people who are far away, but the love of God that we need ourselves. He's a prodigal God who has spent extravagantly, lavishly to care and provide for and to celebrate us. Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read uh, a couple of verses at the very beginning because uh, just to set the stage of what's happening. So ch- uh, chapter 15, verse number one. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. It's a surprising thing right there. And in verse number two, it said, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain. So these are religious people. These are the religious elite. They they were complaining that Jesus was associating with such sinful people. He was even eating with them. And so Jesus told them this 
story. And he actually told them three. You can kind of look back up at me. They're having a meal. It's a religious elite there. And then Jesus is inviting and hanging out with the, 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 the lows of society. People who are unrepentant, people who are uh, maybe even proud of how they were living, but people who were interested in Jesus. And so here Jesus is hanging out with them. The religious community, they're upset about this, they're complaining about this, they're muttering to each other, they're, they're being really snobbish about having to share a room and share Jesus with these other people. So Jesus begins to tell them a story. He tells them three stories, three parables, uh, right here, back to back consecutively, really um, trying, he, he, he's talking to correct and rebuke the religious people who are sitting in the room. So if you're someone who are to consider yourself religious in any sort of way, you need to listen to this passage from that perspective. What is Jesus trying to correct and rebuke in me and change in me through this story? Because he wasn't telling this story for the people who were far from Jesus to understand who he was because they understand they understood who he was. He was eating with them. They loved to be with him. He was kind to them. He was gracious to them. So they already understood how Jesus was. He was telling this story to the religious people to correct them, to change them, to hopefully bring repentance in their own heart. Now, I want to read, starting now at verse number 11. We're going to read through this entire story because I think it's very important that you, if you've never heard this, that you hear it in full in the words of Jesus. So it'll be, uh, it'll be right here on the screen so you can follow along with me. So he told the story of a lost sheep, he told the story of a lost coin, and now he tells a story about a couple of lost sons. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Right there from the very get-go, this is surprising, this is shocking, and uh, anybody in there who... um, who understood this culture, who lived in this culture, would have been very angry that the younger son would have done this. And they would have been very surprised that the dad would have given him what he asked for. Because what should have happened and what could have legally happened is the dad could have had his son uh, uh, killed um, legally uh, as punishment for making uh, such a request. So a few days later, the son packed up all his belongings took his money and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over all the land, and he began to starve. He pursued a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Stop right there just to remark that Um, This is a Jewish culture who did not eat uh, meat from pigs, they did not touch pigs, they did not have pigs in their community, and now here's someone who's gone so far away from the father that he's now 
not even, not even, he's gone beyond eating pigs. He's working with pigs, and now he's looking to eat the same food the pigs have eaten. He has gotten to the lowest of lows he could ever get to. Verse number 17, it says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer being worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Verse number 28. The older brother was angry, and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. We're going to be in this passage of scripture for uh, again for this entire series because there is a lot of different things that we need to learn there's a lot of different things that God wants to speak to us. There's many different things that God's trying to show and reveal to us about him, about salvation, about sin, and about, uh, and about us. There's three questions that I want to look at this series. And the first question is, who needs, uh, who gets to be with Jesus? And, and as they're sitting at this dinner with Jesus... And there's a religious elite who, who do everything perfect. Externally, everything's perfect. They are they're trying to say, hey, these other people shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be associating with them. You shouldn't be uh, taking away from our time to uh, our time with you. And they're trying to say, they, they, don't, they shouldn't even get to be with you. And there's this two groups of people, the the tax collectors and the sinners, these are people who obviously were not following God. It was obvious from how they lived, how they talked, um, uh, how, 
how, you know, the crimes they commit, it was obvious they did not follow God. They weren't pretending. They weren't trying to pretend. They didn't know how to pretend. And then there were the religious people. The sinners were people like um, uh, Michelle and I's, our old neighbor. And uh, when we used to invite her to church, she would say, there's a special place in hell for me. All right, that's the one group of people. And then there's the religious people. They're dressed up. They're, they're dressed according to the cultural standards. They know how to do everything. They know how to fit in. It looks like they are good. The religious group is especially offended that Jesus is eating with sinners because to sit at a table and eat a meal with someone in that day was to approve of them, to accept them. So it would be like uh, probably the only thing we could ever understand and maybe begin to get it is in a, a high school cafeteria. Who you sit with, who you eat with, says who you are, what you accept. So to be cool and to sit at the table with the kids who smell bad is going to affect, and why would you ever do that? You're cool, you're popular. They're not. Don't do that. And, and, and this is what's happening and, and, and the, the problem that they're facing and that they're wrestling with. And it's why Jesus is telling this story. What Jesus is saying here is through this story is there's not bad people and good guys. There's lost people. That everybody needs to, to, to come to the Father. Everybody has the, and, and really kind of the big thing Jesus is saying here is everybody gets to be with the Father. There is not a, a, a group of people that is limited or excluded from his salvation, from his forgiveness, from him. Anybody who wants to, gets to. And for us today, for us today, anybody has the opportunity to be with Jesus. Anybody. Doesn't matter what religion you came, you're, you're currently in, if you want to pursue Jesus, he'll receive you. Doesn't matter what lifestyle you are in, if you want to pursue Jesus, he'll receive you. It doesn't matter um, how, how religious and nasty you've become, if you want to pursue Jesus, you can. No race, no nationality, no income level, uh, uh, no uh, intelligence level is excluded from Jesus. That's a big deal for us. Who gets to be with him? Everyone. Everyone. There is no one that he'll cast away. Now, the second question that we begin to see from this is, who needs Jesus? This was a second part of the question, again, that the religious people didn't like. In the three stories that he told, the three lost objects, there was a sheep, there was a coin, and there was two sons. And He's telling all these stories to begin to try to get the Pharisees and the religious people and the religious, religious elite to understand you are lost too. You have just adapted uh, a way of living. You have not come to the Father. 
And we begin to see through these stories as Jesus is teaching us about sin, as he's teaching us about salvation, that there's many different ways that people can, can, uh, can end up away from the Father. They can end up just from ignorance, and, they, and they, they just don't know. They haven't heard about God. They don't know what could be offered, and that's like the sheep that's wandered. But the shepherd pursues and finds. There's the coin. It's just, um, it's just neglect. It's just gone missing. But then there's the owner of the coin who goes pursuing and flipping over all the covers till they can find it. And then there's two, then there's two sons who have willfully excluded themselves from the father but there's a father who's pursuing them, who's preparing for them, who's ready to celebrate them. Whether it's by you didn't know any better, or you just didn't take care of what you had, or you willfully made a decision to walk away, sin is sin. And God's response to that, when we come to him in forgiveness, is forgiveness. To the religious elite, at that time, they categorized sinners in five different ways. There were people who did dirty things for a living, like pig farmers and tax collectors. And so just because of your job, you were someone who was a sinner. There were people who did immoral things, such as liars and adulterers. There were people who did not keep the law up to the standards of the religious elite. Those were people like most of us. We weren't Jewish. We were Gentiles or we were Samaritans. And so you were sinful just based on, you, on, on who, who birthed you. But Jesus is now trying to make a statement that it was possible to fulfill every religious obligation and still be a sinner, still be in sin. Being religious doesn't make you right with God. Being religious doesn't make you righteous. It's only through coming to the Father and relationship with the Father that, every, that, we're, that we're not sinners. And this story is really an invitation that no matter whether you're a younger brother or you're an elder brother, there's an invitation from him to be with him. Who needs Jesus? We all do. Whether you're someone in recovery or you're someone who's a fine, upstanding citizen of the year, we all need Jesus. Whether your parents were, uh, uh, were convicts or your parents were pastors, we all need Jesus. We all need forgiveness. The, the, channel, the, the thing to begin to look at our own heart, if you're someone who's come and been in church for a number of years, you're someone who's been maybe in Restoration Church for a number of years, the challenge for us is what happens is we can recognize a point in our life when we were a younger brother and we were living wild and we were living far from God and maybe we even knew we shouldn't but we didn't care, we were going to have fun. And we ended up coming back to the Father 
and asking him to forgive us, and he moves in our heart, and it's beautiful, and we celebrate it, but then we've slowly now become the elder brother. And here we are years later looking down our nose at people who are trying to come to the Lord now. And, oh, don't you know they're living together? Oh, don't you know the problems they have? Oh, don't you know? Why are we, why is the pastor not telling these people they're doing these things wrong? Why are we not practicing church discipline? Why are we letting them serve? Why aren't we kicking them out? And we begin to act like elder brothers. We've quickly forgotten what it was to have, to have, to have, come back expecting discipline, but instead receiving love. And we quickly, and this is the, this is the part that's most true for me, is that we, have, we are now elder brothers saying, God, I'm not coming in. I'm not being a part of that church. I'm not being a part of, the, of this. If that's how you're going to treat people, if you're going to love them, if you're going to forgive them, if you're going to receive them, I don't want a part of it. They need to be punished for what they've done. And, it, it, and I, think, I, think the, I think the, 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 gro- the grossness of this is that this is, pr- this is probably true of too many churches in our country. We want to point fingers. We want to pray for judgment. We want people to get what what they deserve. And we don't talk about Jesus and his forgiveness. We talk about hell and 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 its permanence. Listen, when you have, if you discover this morning you have that attitude, you're You're lost. You're lost. You've, you've, you've gone f- as far away from the Father as, as, the, as the younger brother did. Your sin is as pervasive in your heart as the younger brother who said, give me my money, give me my share. I don't want to have a relationship with you anymore. You're telling the Father, you're going to do it my way or I won't have a part of it. We start out as a younger brother and we become a, as a self-righteous elder brother. Who needs Jesus? We all need Jesus. The third question in this is who will be found by Jesus? And there are those who are coming back after many mistakes. And we read this in verse number 20. Talking about the younger brother. It said, so he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and began sprinting. This is a culture where, where fathers and, and old men did not run because it wasn't, it wasn't dignified. Because again, they, were, were, they wore robes and so no, no old guy is going to pull up his robe and start running. And, but, the, but the father, in response to the younger son returning home, it is, I, I'm throwing off all restraint I've been waiting for this, and I will sprint down the driveway because I'm not waiting to, for you to walk all the way up the driveway and stand with my arms crossed and say, what are you doing here? I knew you'd be back. I told you so. It is an unbelievable moment. Who, 
who, who will be found by Jesus, those who, um, who will return home and somewhere on your journey home to say, Jesus, it might be halfway through a sentence, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. He meets you in that moment, whether it's in a church, in your home, in your car, and he just pours out love upon you that brings you to tears. And you can't even believe that he would still love you. After everything I've done, how could you forgive me? After every place I've been, how can you forgive me? But he pursues you. He pursues you, and he's waiting for you to show up at the end of the long driveway, and he's going to come sprinting after you. He throws a party, obviously, and we'll talk about that in another week. But the son's plan was to be a hired hand, but the father had better plan. Let me give you a new inheritance. Let me dress you up. Let me give you the food we've been saving for, for the big party. Let's celebrate right now. This is a response to you. Who will be found by Jesus? Those returning after many mistakes, but also those who think they are good. They have an invitation from the Father to throw off their goodness and their self-righteous standing and instead receive what God has. I want to read verse number 28. Some bands at every location start getting in place. It says, the older brother was angry. So the older brother shows up. He could, he's been working. He shows up and he says, what's the deal? It's mid-afternoon. Why, why is there the mariachi band going? Why, you know, what's going on? Why is everybody dancing? And what's, what's all the noise? And you find, oh, your brother came back. So we're throwing him a party. It ticked him off. He's angry. I'm not going into that party. So if the, the father finds out, Hey, your, older, your, your oldest son, he's outside. So the father goes outside, and he, in the, uh, he put that verse back up for me. The father goes outside, and he, he, what does it say? He says, he begged him to come in. Next verse. He begged him. Hey, come on into the party. Come on, please. come. I ain't going into that party. No way. I ain't celebrating him. He's... He, I, I can't even believe you're talking to him. Why would we let him off the, onto the property? I'm not going into a party for him. The father's begging him, please come in. Please come in. Please be a part of this. Please be a part of this. And we sit here with all of our religious doings, and he's begging us, be a part of this. Be a part of this. Be a part of reaching people. And we're like, I don't want to go to a church that talks, and every week it's talking about reaching just one more. And he's begging us, be a part of this. Be a part of this. I don't want to go to a church that whatever, whatever, and he's begging us, be a part of this, be a part of this. I don't want to go to a church where I have to check my kid into a service because there might be people there that we don't know who might look unsavory, and he's begging us, be a part of this, be a part of this, be a part of this. And we say, I just want to go to and just be, you know, where we just all know each other, and I don't have to meet new people every week, and he's begging us to be a part of this, to be a part of this. There's a party going on where you come and participate in this. There are people 
people who are returning home, will you come and participate in this? There are, there are people who are, who are being loved by me, and, and they were lost, and they, we thought they were dead, but they've come home. Will you be a part of this? And the older brother says, you don't do anything for me. I just come in every week and I serve. I come in every week and I do everything you told me to. I've never smoked. I never drank. I've always been faithful to my wife. But you don't answer my prayers. I'm done with you. Who gets to be found by Jesus? Anybody who will walk into the party. He invites every one of us who gets to go. Anybody who will lay down their pride and walk in. And whether you're far away hanging out with pigs and, 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 and just thinking like, I, I don't even want this anymore. If you will humble yourself and say, I'm going to go ask God to forgive me, he'll let you. You may be standing outside that party with your arms crossed and so angry, shaking, full of anger. I can't even believe that God would save them and forgive them. He'll invite you in to lay down your pride and your self-righteousness to come into the party, to be loved by him and live out that love that he's called you to. The father, he prepared, he prepared a meal for the both of them. The younger brother, excuse me, the older brother was acting as if there were only two chairs at that table. And that the father had to choose one or the other, but that's not how it is at all. With the older son standing in the yard, the father leaves him there and goes back into the party to sit down with the sinner. The story of Jesus that we begin to, to learn through this is that he knew he would have to die to bring the lost home. He knew he would have to die to, to create the space for anybody, anywhere, at any moment to be able to uh, have the to receive the forgiveness to walk into that house. He endured the cross. He had joy in doing God's plan for his life. Remember Ruth Colbeth, the lady I told you about at the beginning of the message. She, for 39 years, set that light out on that windowsill. She passed away in 1930. In 1933, who shows back up on the property but her husband. And uh, his, his wife has died, and a neighbor who had lived there before meets him and, and, and finds out the story, like, where you been? He never really explained where he was, but uh, he had been to Cuba, he had been to Panama, he had been to California, some errand. I mean, you get getting mad about your husband showing, taking off to, to Home Depot and coming home three hours later. 39 years 
Over 39 years, he's gone running this errand. Imagine if he had come back four years earlier, a year before Ruth had passed away. She'd been leaving the light on for over 30 years. How would she have treated him if he returned at that point after, after 38 years? All of a sudden, one night, she's left the light on, and it's, it's twilight, and he knocks on the door, and she opens the door, and there's her husband who's been gone for over 30 years. What, would she just punch him right in the face? <laughs> She's been screaming at him, where have you been for 30 years? Get out, stay out, and like, and like throwing the lamp down. Now that I know you're alive, don't come back. Would she have slapped him on the back of the head and then embraced him and then slapped him again and then embraced him again? What would she have responded had he showed up four years earlier? We don't know. How does Jesus respond? How does the Father respond? We know how he'll respond. He'll start sprinting after you. He'll put his finest clothes on you. He'll put the righteousness of Jesus on you. He will have a party. They will, we know in other parts of scripture, they will have a party in heaven. He will pour blessing upon you, forgiveness upon you, love upon you. We know how he'll respond if we choose to respond to him today. The light is still on. He's still waiting for you. Will you close your eyes? I want to take a moment and pray for you. If this morning you're making a decision to come home, you've been, it's been wild living for you, but you want to come home, or you just, you've been outside, you've been religious and angry, and now you're going to come into the party and be a part of what he's celebrating and part of what he's doing. If you're making that decision today, if you still have a connection card, write your name on that. Check that box that you're doing that if even you want to be water baptized today, you can just jump in at the end of the service here in a little bit and do that. But you just... If you're making that decision, we want to know that because we, want, we, don't just want hella, he, we don't just want heaven to celebrate. We want to celebrate here with you too. And if you want to follow, if you want to come home to him, you saw the prayer of the younger son. It wasn't fancy, and so your prayer is something similar. Jesus, I need you in my life. If you, if you would forgive me, I would ask you to forgive me. And he does forgive you immediately. In that moment, you pray that every single time. And I want you to pray that, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to come into the party you have for me. And that younger son, he could have done like most of us. He said, no, 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 don't throw a party. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And refused the party because it's too embarrassed. Maybe that's you. Say, I've, you don't understand, Pastor. I've done too many embarrassing things, too many terrible things. I'm not going to allow Jesus to celebrate me. I'm going to stand outside. Don't do that. Receive him and receive his love. Jesus, I pray for every single person. The sinners, forgive them. The religious elite, convict them. Forgive each of us for our sin and change our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.